Hello and welcome back to another episode of Teaching My Dad Football. Uh, first of all, I uh, want to apologise for the uh, slight hiatus. Um, we've been gone for a while. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of things... Well, I got very busy with the university. Um, I did a bit of travel and I was Yeah, you're here. away a bit. Um, you've started a new job now, so... Uh, yeah, but happy to be back, happy to be talking about football once again, uh, because I think the last time we recorded one of these was a couple of months ago, so. Yeah, and it'd be good to talk today, uh, in particular because Arsenal had a really good game, uh, and so, you know, it's good to come back with being happy about the good result. Yeah, um, just before we get into today's episode, uh... I think we should reintroduce ourselves a little bit. Uh, I'm Joe. I'm Emmy. This is my dad. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube right now, you can see us. Uh, for those of you listening uh, on any audio sources, uh, feel more than welcome to come to the YouTube channel, which uh, you can search for on YouTube under Teaching My Dad Football. Uh, and you'll find us, I'm pretty sure. Um, and I'm obviously under dad, and you are the son and you're the one who knows about football, and I'm the one who... Hence the name of this podcast, Teach My Dad Football, because <laughs> he's the clueless one, so, uh, yeah. Uh, but generally what we'll do on these podcasts is we're going to go through all the Premier League results at the weekend. Uh, since it's also been so long, I think we'll also discuss where these teams lie and where their seasons are right now as sort of like a just gone past the mid-season so we'll do a little bit of a mid-season review as well i think uh for some of these teams as we touch on their results uh so who do you want to start with well i think there's only one game to start with uh if you've not joined us before we are both massive arsenal fans we're both well we have season tickets at the get uh for the stadium so uh i think well i mean it's the biggest game of the weekend as well I and mean, sometimes we talk about arsenal at the start usually we do because we're arsenal fans but I think also given that it's the biggest game, where better not to start than Arsenal 3, Liverpool 1. That was a rather amazing result, unexpected in some ways, for me at least. I know I, you you weren't particularly confident going into the game. I was quite confident because given how we played them, and I mean, I went to the FA Cup game, you didn't, uh, but given how we played them in the FA Cup, I didn't have that much concern my only concern was is we'll go there today and we won't finish our chances and it will go to 70 80 minutes nil nil and they'll get one chance and they'll score their win or something like i could see that happening because that's what happened in the fa cup game essentially um although they didn't even really actually score their first goal it was an own goal but nonetheless we didn't take our chances that game and we got punished for it in the end uh, you know it's a side like liverpool usually do punish you if they get a chance or two um and instead, this time... Well, this time we took our chances, although Havertz should have scored his chance on the first goal, but nonetheless, Saka got the rebound and it went in. Um, we, well, we could have scored more than one in the first half, and in the end, uh, well, it came back to bite us at the end of the first half, which we'll get into as well. But nonetheless, I, I was relatively confident going into the game. I thought, if we play them like how we did in the FA Cup... Lightning doesn't tend to strike twice. 
and I thought it'd be quite unlikely, especially now because, especially because in this game, I was expecting you know Saka to play, Martinelli to play. We'd have a stronger starting eleven, and also given the injuries that they had, and obviously Salah not being Salah being out and Endo being out because of international tournaments. Although both of them are technically back now, but Salah wasn't fit to play, uh, and they had a bunch of other not fit players. Um, I was relatively confident looking at the starting lineups. I thought, as much as we were missing Gabriel Jesus, I thought, Kai Havertz likes these big games. He may not always score, but he'll put himself about, which is exactly what he did. Um, and uh, I think we'll discuss the first goal now because he played a big part in it. Uh, now, I've watched a decent amount of tactical analyses on these. I don't know if you have. Uh, just sort of breaking down the goal and a lot of Liverpool fans I saw online after the game were complaining about like how basically all three goals were preventable and to an extent they were but I think the first goal is a bit a, a lot of people said oh you know it's a it's a Liverpool mistake the first goal in some sense yes it's a mistake but it's also Arsenal were baiting Liverpool to press them and especially because you had Jorginho starting in midfield this game um his ability just come forward a bit <laughs> yeah I'll focus on the on the video <laughs> stay where you are uh but essentially because Jorginho was in that midfield this game uh Zinchenko didn't invert in this game and he actually stayed quite wide at times but because of then Havertz dropping really deep when he was starting at center forward on paper um although in actuality, the build-up was a little bit different. It was more so Havertz played as like a... Havertz sort of played as a false nine alongside Odegaard. Odegaard was a maybe a little bit deeper at times, but I think I was explaining this before, where usually we play like that box midfield in this game. Essentially, because of instead of Zinchenko inverting, because we just had Declan Rice and Jorginho as the pivot players, um, it meant that we have to form the box from elsewhere. And essentially what Arteta decided to do was, well, I'll play Odegaard and Havertz when we're building up from the back in false nines or almost both in number 10 positions. And it threw Liverpool really off because Havertz dropped really deep at times. And so did Odegaard. And it's like, we've got extra men in the build-up. And so when Havertz dropped deep, Liverpool's press was all over the place and they didn't know what to do. And the ball ends up going out to Zinchenko on the left-hand side. And then Havertz then gets back upfield to get into sort of a more striker position. And as that hap as that's happening, Odegaard came into the midfield to receive the ball from Zinchenko. And at that point, Van Dijk had a, had a decision to make. Do I go with Odegaard or do I stay where I, or do I stay in defence? And the reality is, is what he should have done is just stayed where he was. Because... Uh, McAllister was tracking um, Havertz, but only to a certain point. At some point, he's handed off to Kanate to deal with. And it was at that point that then Odegaard got the ball. Van Dijk made a movement towards Odegaard, but the issue was is that because of Van Dijk going towards Odegaard, there's a whole lot of space in behind for Havertz, who's making that run now, and it completely opens up for him, and that's how he gets through on goal. Should have scored, but... It was a really good move from Arsenal, nonetheless. Yeah, and thankfully, Saka was in the 
yeah, right in place, the right, right place exactly. at the right time and was able to you know pick up the ball and score. Yeah. Um went mental in the stadium. Yeah. Uh <laughs> as you would as you would expect in a big game like that where everything is riding on the game. Um and the rest of the first half we, you know, press wise they couldn't handle, you know, they they were finding it really difficult. I think they were really missing Darwin Nunes up top in that first half because they're essentially just trying to play through us. And every time the ball went long, they were losing the ball and they had no one to target up top. Um, so I think he was the biggest miss for them actually in that game because I think I know people will say, well, what about Salah? Yeah, of course Salah was a massive miss because look, he's a, arguably the best player in the league, but. In that sort of game, Salah could have done, could have made a difference, but I actually think Nunes would have been more involved than Salah would have been. Salah may, may very well have gotten one chance and he would have scored it, right? But Nunes would have provided an outlet for them over the top because we were pressing so high and our centre backs were re that when our press started, all our centre backs were jumping up as well, and their strikers and their forwards were just like, well, there's all this space in behind, but then the ball's not going long to us, and it's essentially because they just can't get the ball long to them because our players in front, the ball goes over the top and the, our players can head it away because they're better in the air than their front line was. And so they, they essentially had no options in that first half. Now, And then all of a sudden, a couple of minutes uh, to the end. Yeah, and then all of a sudden. I've watched it back a number of times and it's, it's a, it's a, it, well, it's a mix-up. Saliba, for one, Saliba needs to be stronger. It's Luis Diaz. Saliba's... For whatever reason, for a man who's six foot three, he seems to get sort of outworked and outbodied by guys that maybe you wouldn't always expect him to do. And I think it's not even the fact that he's he's not he's strong, Saliba. You've seen him body Harland. Like he's strong. I think being so young as he is, he's not as dominant in duels as he possibly should be. He I don't think he has quite learned how to use his body correctly. And, and I think I, and I think you saw it because he should be able to usher that ball back to Rea without Luis Diaz being able to stick a leg in and hit the ball across the box, which in turn hit Gabriel's actually hit his hand and went in the back of the net. Rea should have come for it. He should have seen that Saliba is ushering for it. And his first thing was, and his first thing was, is the ball is now approaching my six-yard box. This is my area to deal with this. Rea should have been out quicker. He didn't. If Saliba had noticed that Rea wasn't coming, he should have then cleared it himself. Um, and then Gabriel was just unfortunate. Wrong place, wrong time. And the ball hits him and goes in the back of the net. And Liverpool, who did... Well, they did nothing in the first half. They didn't have a shot on target. Find themselves at halftime, 1-1. And you're just thinking, all that hard work... All those chances undone for nothing, and you're just thinking, "Oh, it's going to head that way, isn't it?" And instead, and he said it didn't. But given that at the start of the second half, I thought Liverpool came out relatively well. Essentially, you can't sustain the press that we were doing on them in that first half, so we became, we dropped back a little bit. And I thought for about ten minutes they were starting to get a foothold in the game. Until they decided, you know what, you made a mistake in the first half, or we'll give you one right back. <laughs> <laughs> it was a ma major surprise, you know, but yeah, yeah I mean, it's that's what our, happened. We're down our end in the stadium, the ball's going over the top, and I'm just seeing Van Dyke, you know, trying to usher it back to Allison. Not quite the same, but similar-ish, I guess, to the first half where the ball's trying to be ushered back. And then the next thing I know, 
Allison's come rushing out for it. He's well. He hasn't actually missed the ball. I don't know if you uh, you might not have seen it on the replay, but actually, as he goes to sort of kick the ball, because Martinelli had sort of nudged Van Dijk a little bit, he'd nudged him to the point where he then makes just the slightest contact on Allison's foot as he's going to kick the ball to clear it. But because of because of that contact, he then doesn't. Allison doesn't make contact with the ball, and the ball that just then just drops. At Martinelli's feet, and he's just thinking, "Well, this is the easiest goal I ever score. Uh, well, one of the easiest, I'm sure, to an open net. Two one, and I can't quite believe my eyes at just what's happened because two of over the past five years, arguably the two best in their position, have just had one of the biggest mess ups in what was the biggest game of the season for them as well. And, uh, and thankfully that happened. And then after that. Um, Arsenal kept playing with desire to win, which I thought was... Yeah, I mean, after that point, I mean, I think the thing that we should say here is that the game possibly could have gone in a different direction after the second half. I thought Liverpool, they're the sort of team where they don't need many chances to score. And if if you give a half chance to someone like Jota he can take it and the next thing you know, you're 2-1 down and you're trying to break them down. But because we end up going 2-1 up at that point, I mean, they had no idea how to break to break us down in the first half. They had no idea how to break us down in the second half and they had one shot on target for the entire game and I think their only shot in target was a shot from outside the box, um, which is now the second time this season that we've limited a team... Well, we limited City to one shot on target and now we've limited Liverpool to one shot on target. Yeah, and what do you think about then Trossard goal? Well, I think, well, before we get onto that, there was the Canate sending off. Mm. Uh, again, I've seen a lot of Liverpool fans complaining online about maybe it shouldn't have been the yellow card. I can understand why they were maybe a little bit frustrated because I thought Gabriel got lucky to not see second to not see a second yellow himself. Because uh, there was one sort of on the halfway line with Nunez, and I thought, I remember in the stadium when it happened, I was just like, oh, "Please don't!" And the referee let it go, and I was thinking, "Well, we got away one. We possibly have got away with one there." I haven't actually, I haven't actually seen any, any replays of it online, to be fair. Um, but Kanate's one, he puts his arm like Havertz has now got past him. Kanate, I think if Kanate stands still, he probably doesn't get a yellow card, but he put his arm across Havertz and it's at that point it's like Havertz then goes down and you've you've got no real option if you're the referee but to give us a yellow card in that scenario. Maybe if it had been the first five minutes of the game, he might have let it go, but at that point in the game, it's like, well, that's just a yellow card and there's no escaping it, unfortunately, for... Um, if you are Kanate there and he got sent off and Klopp didn't look particularly happy. He gave a thumbs up on the sideline to the referee, which was a bit sarcastic. But, um, and at that point, I think the game was Liverpool didn't look like scoring all day. Definitely weren't going to score at that point. And then Trossard, who'd come on for Martinelli. I don't know. Some people were saying, well, why is Martinelli coming off? Blah, blah, blah. But I think Martinelli had, done so much sprinting and running that game he worn his socks out so I actually don't mind I actually didn't mind the Trossard substitution and in the end he turned Harvey Elliott 
then runs the quickest I've ever seen Leandro Trossard run. And then with a slight deflection of Van Dijk's foot, it ends up in between Alisson's leg and into the, into the back of the net. Yeah, that must admit, was a brilliant, was a brilliant goal. Just yeah, the yeah. I mean, the it. skill to get past Harvey Elliott was really good. You know, he had, you know, fiercely, you know, was contending with not one, not two, but at least four Liverpool players. They're all, you know... In well, they were chasing after him. And, chasing and then, uh, well, I will say this about Van Dijk. Van Dijk is arguably the best centre-back in the world and has been over the past sort of five, six years. However, things that you see him do as a defender, and it happened on the first, and it's the same reason why the first goal was conceded, is he's a percentage defender. And what I mean by that as a percentage defender is that he will defend what is the more likely chance that someone scores. Now he knows, and for that Trossard goal, because he's sort of running alongside Trossard at one point, but he's not really sprinting at him. And you and you might be thinking, well, why is he not doing that? And it's because he knows that Arsenal like cutting, cutting the ball back. And if, if Trossard cut the ball back and if there was a runner behind him, that ball can end up in the back of the net really easily. But the issue is, is that he'd had a look and he sees that he has two defenders next to him. At that point, his decision-making should have been, look, there, as much as I want to stop the cutback, I should stop the shot as well. If the if he cut if he if if I go to block the shot and he cuts it back, I've got two defenders there. It's their job to cover me. And at that point, and unfortunately for him, he plays the percentage. But Trossard decides, well, I'm going to go alone here. And by the time Van Dyke realizes, oh wait, I need to stick a leg out, it actually caused the ball to go in the back of the net because it takes that slight deflection off his foot. It's one of those things that you notice about him as a defender. Is he doesn't always fully commit himself. Um, and it, it can cost you in those games sometimes. And, and I think in this game, it, it, it cost because on the first goal, he needs to just stay. He just needs to stick his position. Odegaard would have had all the space in the world in the middle of the pitch, but he was basically on the halfway line. Like you're 50 yards away from goal, like rather than, getting pulled out of position which gave all the space in behind for Havertz if he just stuck to his position it's not an issue there on the third goal for Arsenal if he tries to block Trossard there was actually no one there for the cutback so it wouldn't have been a goal either but at that point the game was probably done like I don't think that Liverpool would have scored but it was the dagger it was the sealer for Arsenal anyway and and so uh, reality not then the game ended you know 3-1 was a very good result. I know that there was much needed for us because needed, yeah. had we drawn this game, we would have gone five points behind Liverpool and the potential five points behind City as well, which I assume they'll win that game in hand. And at that point, it would have been a real long shot for us to win the league. Had we lost, the league would have been done. There would have been no title race for us and we would have been possibly even at that point because... I think for those players not seeing us in a title race, they might have then got. We might have then had some bad results and then got, got dragged into a top, into a Champions League race even. But winning that game keeps us in the title race. Um, albeit we are two points behind Liverpool and probably three points behind City, but we've got to be in there and we've got to continue doing what we're doing now. We've got to hit a run now because all teams that win the league in recent years have hit that 
10 game win streak or whatever it is minimum 10 game win streak double digit win streak um and just accumulate a lot of points for the rest of the season because we had that christmas period where we didn't do particularly well we lost to villa we lost to west ham we lost to fulham you've got to put that past you now and you've just got to go for it and if city win all that and you know if city win all the rest of their games they'll win the they'll win the league but as long as we can keep uh, if we can keep pace with them that's the best that we can do yeah from I, I this think point and the positive was i think sort of came out of that that you now um you know really hope you know if they can play with a sound resolve then hop and do the same and hopefully avoid again little mistakes that was only one uh, this game then you know yeah. obviously there's quite 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 a bit of hope and i think you know going back and then we'll, we'll stop talking about this game celebrations at the end of the game i think were uh justified because what you say yeah it's it's what the, it's what the, the game it's meant the relief it's the the relief on the pressure you know the, these games nowadays are especially so much more under the spotlight the premier league's the biggest league in the world and so those players are feeling the pressure. So when it comes to the end of the, when it comes to the final whistle, you've won the game, you've kept yourself in the title race. Our season was on the line essentially. You know, if if we lose that game, if we lose that game, we're out of it. That's our Premier League season done. If we draw it, it's really unlikely. But because of winning that game, it gives us a real shot now. Mm. Um, yeah, and winning it, and winning the way that they did. So I think yeah, that and, was... and and the way the manner in which it was done. Had had the mistake not happened with the goal, had Arsenal even been a little bit more clinical themselves, you could have, you know, on another day, you could be walking out of there. You know, Kivior could have scored his header in the second half. Saka could have scored that feder- that header in the first half. And then all of a sudden, then that's two relatively big chances in the game. And that could have been what? And if the mistake doesn't happen to the other end, that could have been a 5-0. Like, that's how dominant it was from Arsenal. In fact, when you look at the XG... Liverpool generated something like 0.4 and Arsenal, depending on what XG database you go by, produced about 3.5, 3.6, 3.7. Anyway, sort of that metrics, which is the most that Liverpool have conceded on expected goals under Jurgen Klopp's tenure as manager. Right. and Which s- I think just shows you just how good Arsenal were. And, and so maybe the last bit saying that com- kind of things that we were going to comment on, what did you think... Um, Liverpool and Arsenal stand now for the end of the season. Well, we're both we'll both be chasing City now. City love being chased; uh, they relish it. Um, but both of us have games against them, and those are the things that swing it in the end. You know, these you know we've beaten City once already this season, and the one game we've had them in the league, we've got a point at Anfield, and we've beaten Liverpool at home. And that's what can swing a league title in the end. If we go to the Etihad and get a draw, let's say, and, you know, when they play at Anfield, if they if they draw against Liverpool, all of a sudden that gap really tightens. And there's a real chance there that we could then find ourselves possibly top of the league. And if we're then we win our games, blah, blah, blah. There's a long way to go still. There's 15 games that we've still got to play and we've still got to win all our other games. Um I don't think we have room to drop points, really. Well, I don't think we have room to... If we lose the game, I think we're done. Um, We've already lost four games this season, so um, if we lose another one, we're done. But At the moment, is looking uh, bright. We're in a healthy position. 
could it be healthier? Yeah. I mean, like, had that blip over Christmas not happened, there's three losses in there, which I don't think should happen, that probably should be three wins, and you'd be talking about us instead of being on... Uh, how many points are we on? If I have a quick look. Um... um Seth Ward, is it 46? Yeah, currently table with, with uh, we're on 49 points. Yeah. You know, do I wish that those three losses had been three wins? Yeah, and we would have been on 58 points. You know, uh, seven clear of Liverpool and, you know, uh, even with City, if they were to win their game in hand, six clear of them. Like That'd be the perfect world, but we don't live in a perfect world. We have to deal with what we've given and we just have to go out there and win our win the rest of our games. And when it comes to that game at the Etihad, that will define our season. Uh, if as long as we keep pace, that will define that will be the defining moment of our season. If we if they lose if we lose to them, we'll go f- too far behind City. Um, but then there's the game between Liverpool and City at Anfield, which could give you know if that's a draw in that game, could give us a bo- could give us a boost in that in those terms. But and I think you know the next um, one five, game at a time. I think the next five games, uh, City has, uh, I would say, a harder uh, schedule compared to um, uh, Arsenal. Don't know uh, what their fixtures are actually. Um, you know, I seem to I seem to remember that. Um, I mean, we'll get on. I think we'll probably we'll talk, we'll talk about them next because we both yeah. we both watched that game, uh, but here. Uh, if I check City's next games. Uh, City's fixtures, no. They've got relatively... They've got, they've got four. Four of their next five games are all at home. And their yeah. only away game is at Bournemouth, which they should win. Um, But they're still playing it against teams that are I mean, able or mm, performing. I mean, Everton... Everton are a good defensive side, so you never know. They could go there and hold them to a draw, but City rarely drop points at home. Chelsea are not good enough. They've already they've just beaten Brentford, so I don't see that going much differently. Although Brentford did give them a good game. Um, Bournemouth away. Bournemouth been good this season, but I don't think they'll struggle against Bournemouth. And then they've got United at home, and I don't think. I mean, United could do something, but it's it's not in their next five games, but. That sixth game in six game times, they've got Liverpool at Anfield. So, yeah, they'll be that, yeah. that could, you know, it could open things up for us possibly, but we'll have to wait and see. And so, you know, what we're saying at the moment is that obviously, as you said, uh, City is not just simply breathing down the neck of Liverpool and Arsenal, but it's while well, really they're going is. above us, they, they're in a position to go above us and keep. You know, and keep the distance until uh, the moment that they play potentially the uh, Manu or they play against us. You mean Liverpool? Uh, Liverpool against Liverpool. Yeah. Um, speaking of City, uh, yesterday, uh, well, we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, well, Monday night football under the lights at G Tech Stadium in West London and. Brentford get off to a very good start with a very, very well-worked uh, goal kick uh, goal uh, where you can't be offside for it. So Tony, even though he comes offside to sort of 
obstruct, well, he pins Ake. He doesn't touch the ball. And Mope finds himself running through one-on-one and goal and scores. And it's a brilliant, brilliantly works by Brentford, who this season are actually only three points above the relegation drop. But I think they're a, they're a lot better than what their position on the table shows. And I think they'll be okay. But you never know how the, those things can go. Um, but they get off 1-0. Brentford look really good defensively. Their goalkeeper is making save after save. And you're thinking they're going to go in at halftime 1-0 up. And then, um, can't remember, Ethan Pinnock, ball goes into the box, Ethan Pinnock try, I think he thinks that Haaland's behind him, tries to clear it, and Foden picks up the scraps and puts it into the back of the net, and it's one all right on half time. and from Brentford's side, it's just, that would be, that That I can imagine going into that half time, into that dressing room, and just, Thomas Frank probably would have been furious, because it would have been like, you've done all that hard work to go one nil up and to stay one nil up and now you've just thrown it away. Yeah. And, but, you know, after that, I think, you know, as usually happens, City just, yeah, they start uh, crazy uh, show that, that. They show their quality. Their quality, their cat. Because, I mean, they had, as you said, you know, Brentford really defended really well, but there are plenty of opportunities for City uh, the keeper not get them out of um you know or scoring and so um in some ways um well city deserved winning yeah they were you know they they really were the better side Uh, and so um for brentford as you said yes they uh are better than the position uh on the table seems to suggest and so that they should be okay this season as well, and City um, again. The uh, they're the, on that run now. They're on the run, and the time that they play with Liverpool, you know, may indicate what happens. Yeah, to I mean, I, if they go, if they go to Anfield and beat Liverpool, I, I, they won't be stopped. N- not even us will stop them because if you can go to Anfield and win, you're that's the hallmark of a team that can win a Premier League title. Unfortunately, um, and well, no big six side has done it since 2015 i believe so yeah and liverpool under klopp at home in the league are very very difficult to beat and if van dyke is playing well they've only ever lost one game at home with van dyke playing so and that was last season when they had a very off when they had quite an off season so mm. should we then focus on well next? i think we should talk about one player in that game in particular in that city brentford game and that's phil foden who scored a hat trick was everywhere uh Personally, I think he's probably been City's best player this season. Although there's been times that the, there's been times in which he's maybe gone missing at times in certain games, but I think on the most part he's been really good for them this year. And playing playing centrally, which is where he should be playing, and not out on the wing, is where he's most where you can do the most damage. And actually, interestingly enough, you're kind of almost seeing De Bruyne shift almost wide at time, well, a lot wider at times, almost to accommodate Phil Foden. De Bruyne, who's brilliant at delivering balls into the box from that right-hand side. Essentially, where Foden might have been asked to keep his width a bit more at times, he's allowed to sort of interchange with De Bruyne a lot more. And I think that works really well for City. And you're just seeing Pep start to tweak things, figure things out. And, um, well, I think in their last sort of seven or eight games, they've won them all. Um, I think they've won six six in a row in, in the league now after that blip that they had where... I think it was like five games or so that they really struggled in. Yeah, the start. Yeah. Um, 
sort of near Christmas time as well, and they went away to Saudi Arabia. And since they've come back, they've dealt with every single game that's come their way. So, do, do you think there's a chance that may have another blip? No, no. the The thing that will decide now will be those games that Liverpool and Arsenal have against City. Um, there's a chance that maybe someone goes in there and draws against them, but I can't see them losing another game this season unless it's against Arsenal or Liverpool. I don't think there's any other team that will go in there and beat them this season. The only team that could beat them uh, would be Spurs at home because as much as they beat them in the FA Cup the other day and they dominated Spurs in that game, for whatever reason, going to Spurs away from home for City, they just really struggle. In fact, it was their first goal at that stadium in the FA Cup game after however many games. So... You never know. Spurs have a couple of players coming back by the time I think that game gets played. I don't know when it is. Um, I think maybe March time. But Spurs could beat them. But apart from that, I don't see City dropping many points uh, otherwise. So those games where you're playing each other are essentially what decides league titles in the end of, at the end of it. And we're in a pretty strong position where we've already taken four points from Liverpool and there's still one more game to play against City, albeit it is at the Etihad where they rarely ever lose, let alone drop points. Right. Shall we move on then to chat about the uh, other teams should... there are? You know. Well, I think we should talk about one London team that is going through absolute hell right now, and that is Chelsea, which puts a real smile on my face because they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, feel for, I do feel for Chelsea fans out there because... What the owners and the management of that club are doing, they will run them into the ground and they've they've put themselves in such a hole financially. I don't know how much more money they can spend in the future windows because they've they've laid out so much money over the sort of the next five, six years. And the issue is that they don't have many players that they can sell either. So unless unless they're willing to settle the only players sort of this season that have been that have you know shown signs of being good for them, so or players that maybe have been out injured, but at that point, Reese James, who when he can play is very good, but he's injured all the time. Wesley Fofana, uh, sorry, Wesley Fofana, who's very good, is also injured all the time. They spent a lot of money on Wesley Fofana. The 200 million they splashed on Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez just doesn't make sense to me. Um, they spent another 60 million on Romeo Lavio, who hasn't been fit for the entire season. And Kunku had an unfortunate injury, is back now, and he looks okay. He, he, he's performing okay, but then again, he's on a very poor side. And then Cole Palmer has been the only real bright spot for them this season. I thought it's been who I think has been really good. And uh, well, he opened the score against Chelsea uh, against Wolves. They went one 0 up, and then um, Wolves just sort of came roaring back. A little bit of luck on the first goal deflection, and a little bit of luck on the second goal. I think it actually ended up being a um, a Desassion goal. But Wolves, who have never won away, well, they've never won away at Chelsea in the Prem. They hadn't won away against Chelsea um, in like 40 plus years or something or other. And um, well, they rock up there and well, they shake, they shake, they shake Chelsea to their very core. And uh, Mateus Cunha bags a hat trick. Um, and 
Wolves played brilliantly and um, I didn't expect at the beginning of the season that Wolves would be in the position they are. I think they sit 10th now, actually one spot above Chelsea. Um, but Gary O'Neill is doing a brilliant, brilliant job. Uh, they've still got uh, Huang Hee Chan to come back from the Asia Cup. And um, I think I read a stat the other day is that their attack last season really wasn't particularly great and they didn't score many goals. They've already, 23 games into the season, they've already surpassed their goal tally from last from the entirety of last season. So goals are not an issue for them this season. They're, they're solid defensively as well. And, um, you know, if they pick up a few more results, you never know, they could fight for a European spot. In a, and remind me, is the manager, new manager, or well, Gary was it their last Gary year? Gary O'Neill, who came in from Bournemouth because Bournemouth sacked him. Uh which I thought was unfair at the time, but look, they tried to, they they went for um, Iraola, who they've got now, who's done really, really well. Um, but Gary O'Neill proved himself to be a pretty good manager at Bournemouth last season when he took over. And uh, he's doing a very good now job at Wolves now as well, um, who I thought yesterday were brilliant. They were unlucky midweek. Um in the way that, in the manner that they lost in the end against Man United, I don't know if you saw that the way that they lost. You know, Wolves got battered in the first half. They should have. Uh, they were two 0 down at half time, uh, and to be honest, they should have been three or four down. But in the second half, they showed a lot of spirit. It went two one. Then United got a third, three one. But then late on, they got two goals. Wolves uh, tied it at three three, and then a couple minutes after, in the ninety seventh minute, Man United got uh, the winner. But there was a lot of spirit shown from them. And um, again, a lot of spirit showed from them in this game. They go 1-0 down, uh, but they come firing back. They go 4-1 up at one point and had it not been for a Thiago Silva sort of late header, it would have ended 4-1 as well. So in many ways, Wolves and Chelsea really sit um, in, uh, in terms of... Well, they're both uh, mid-table. Yeah, but in terms of uh, um, emotional and uh, performance... Uh, physical performance position in completely um, uh, opposite uh, positions. Yeah, and so Chelsea look a real mess on the pitch as well. They've had some good performances this year, Chelsea, but especially recently they've been really poor. Um, what do you think uh, Chelsea fans can expect? Nothing. So for them, this I is like the, uh, this is like uh, I mean, a, I've, a I've said it for a while. They, I mean, for one, they've had so many injury issues this year already, which is unlucky, and you can't put that on them. But their refusal to sign any players over the age of 25 is hurting them because they sold pretty much all their senior players. They they got rid of a lot of players this summer, albeit they made quite a bit of money from it. But they have no real, apart from Thiago Silva in that squad, they have no real leadership. Reese James is the captain, but he's out all the time. Ben Chilwell is the vice captain, but he's also out all the time. And so you've got a 39-year-old, about to be 40-year-old, Thiago Silva, who's essentially acting as the captain. But apart from him, there's not many other, you know, senior players to look for who have, I think, probably have quite large voices in that dressing room. I think Raheem Sterling you know, there's another senior player in the squad, but I don't think he doesn't strike me as that character to be particularly in that sort of leading sense. Um, I think he leads more in terms of the way he plays on the pitch rather than the voice in the dressing room. And they have no one to, to, to like nurture 
alongside those really young midfielders. And you're just seeing Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez in there. And they look lost at times in games. And they did against Wolves as well. And it's just not working out. And you're thinking, and if you're Chelsea now, if you're a Chelsea fan right now, you're probably thinking, we sold Jorginho for 12 million last January. We could use him right now as leadership for those two in that midfield because they need to learn how to play in those sorts of, you know, under that pressure of playing for a big team. And the reality is that they they don't have that leadership next to them and it's showing on the pitch and um yeah they're really struggling and you know if the potential for any um you know you didn't see them you know you saw them spend however much money last january they didn't spend a penny this january and i think they're worried that they've seen everton get deducted points they've seen everton possibly getting deducted points again and forest and i think they're thinking when there was a report that came out the other day which says that even if they did want to sack Pock, they're scared that they they can't afford it because it would put them into financial trouble and they might get points deduction. So they could find themselves in some real trouble over the next couple of years, um, especially if then it goes back to sort of Abramovich time. Um, and if they get point deduction, especially because of how they're playing right now, they're not going to get enough points. It, like, it's to the point where I don't think it will happen, but it could happen. If they get deducted 10 points to start next season, if, they, if they're if they as bad as they were, if they're as bad as they are, have been this season and, the pre, and in last season as well, they could find themselves in a relegation battle. Right. And instead, you know, as you said, Wolves is looking in good shape. Yeah, they're anyway. looking in great shape. Um. And they'll be, you know, where I thought they'd be in real trouble because of what happened in the summer with them. They look, they're in a very healthy position. Um, Chelsea, on the other hand, are not. And despite, you know, being next to each other in the table, they, the outlook for them looks so different. Sorry about that. There's an alarm going off in the background. Um, but yeah, Chelsea are a complete utter mess from top down and their future does not look particularly healthy. Um, you know, often they'll improve, you know, this to the benefits of, you know, Chelsea fans, I'm pretty sure, although I'm pretty sure that Chelsea fans probably uh, agree with a lot of the comments that you... Yeah, um, I mean, uh, I mean everything made. that I've seen from most Chelsea fans online is that they, they, they want that ownership group to go because they don't know what they're doing. They've, but the issue is, is that even if the ownership group were to go or Poc were to go, you're so financially restricted now because you don't make enough money from your stadium because your stadium is one of the smallest out, out, out. Um, it's smaller than all the other big six teams. So you don't make enough match day revenue. You've spent all this money. So unless you can sell, so unless you're willing to sell the only good players that you do have to try and bring in other players in, then you're going to struggle there. And so new owners won't be able to do much. A new manager, I don't think, will be able to do much. I don't put too much blame on Pock, although I think he does deserve some blame. They haven't played particularly well in all their games, but they've they've look they're poor and um, they're poor on the pitch, and I think they'll be poor off the pitch in terms of their financial position going forward because they took a gamble on all these really long contracts and spending a lot of money on on these players and laying it out over a number of years. And while it looks like it could be smart. <coughs> you need guidance for young players and the other thing was is that you know you go and spend 
105 million or whatever it was on Enzo Fernandez after what 16 games at Benfica and one World Cup where he looked good for a young player in a World Cup but international football is so different from league football you know you go and spend 115 million on Caicedo who I think is a really good player but I don't to me Caicedo was never good to me Declan Rice was if you're going to spend 100 million on any number six in the world it's Declan Rice Caicedo was never that player to spend 100 million on. I, I don't think Caicedo should have been worth anything more than about 60 or 70 million in part just because he doesn't have the athletic profile that someone like Declan Rice does. Right. And right. so, shall we then, I suggest, focus yeah, on we three other on teams, you know, West Ham, Well, we'll talk about Aston the other Villa teams quickly. And I do think we should talk about some of these games because a uh, little stat for you real quick. This was in a twenty game in a twenty team league. This was the highest scoring weekend in Premier League history. The most amount of goals in Premier League history at a set of weekend fixtures. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean I mean it's epitomized by the eight goal thriller at Newcastle Luton, uh, which we'll touch on quickly. Uh Luton, who I actually really hope they stay up. I think they show real fight and real character, and I like the way that they play football. They play root. They play a lot more root one football, which is very, very standard English football. Get the ball long to a big target man in someone like Adebayo or Colton Morris, and let runners go off of that. And that's how they play, and they they do it really well to the point where they cause trouble for other teams. And look, Newcastle who have suffered with injury issues for quite a while, but go to Newcastle and put four past them and be leading 4-2 at one point in the game is nothing easy to do. And, uh, well, it's exactly what Luton did. They, you know, it was 1-0 to Newcastle. They came back 1-1. Then Newcastle go ahead 2-1. And you're thinking at that point, you're away at St. James's Park. That's really tough at that point to see yourself go behind after levelling it once if you're Luton. They go and score three and they find themselves 4-2 up. And um, Newcastle do come back very well and they come back into the game 4-4 but I, uh, I didn't watch the game but from the highlights it looked like a real yeah, very very good game to watch so so as I say you hoping you know obviously Luton is well, uh, I think enjo- enjo- enjoying a good a, a, a good spell a, and you would hope another that they stay quick up look at the table again but I think they might be um, and what about Newcastle you know what well, well I'll get the table up quickly uh, so Luton are currently just above the drop zone. They're above Everton, having played a game less than Everton as well. So, um, you know, they're in a they're in a healthy position, Luton, right now. They're, they're picking up points. And actually, I, I did think there was a chance that out of all the newly promoted teams, I thought Luton had the best chance just because of the way that they play football. Um, and what about Newcastle? Newcastle currently sat on ninth. They're not doing as well, I'm sure, as they would hope to. Um, albeit there, I think their chances of the Champions League football this season are gone. I don't think they'll get it. Um, they're, they're 11 points behind Spurs, who are in fifth. They're, you know, they're 13 points behind Villa, who are in fourth. As much as they battered Villa on both occasions this season, Newcastle not being consistent enough. And um, look at home to New- at home to Luton, you should be beating them. Um, and to concede four to them at home is bad. Uh, if you're Newcastle, albeit that they did show spirits come back in that game, but you should never be in that position in the first place. 
Um, they've conceded far too many goals. Last season, they were really good defensively, really difficult to break down. This season, they've, they've leaked far too much at the back. And um, I think the target for them will just to get back into Europe again, whether that's Conference League or Europa League. I know they probably hope for Europa League. And look, if there's the chance that sixth and seventh is Europa League because fifth goes to a Champions League spot, then there's a chance that they could create, then they, there's a real chance they could get um, Europa League football again. But if it goes to fifth and sixth, they might struggle to get themselves back into Europa League. Well, to, in, to get into Europa League instead. Um, right. Who who else? Uh, Matches-wise, who else do you know? We'll talk about Man United uh, because they had a, what turned to be a quite comfortable win in the end against West Ham, although I did watch at times the first half and they, because um, it was the game before Arsenal-Liverpool, which we caught the first half before leaving. Um Rasmus Hoyland has now scored, I think, in his last four Premier League games. Looks to have really announced himself, you know, after a really tough start in the Prem. Um, or, but I was never really that concerned about him, you know, in the Premier League because I thought you don't score five goals in the Champions League and then don't do anything in the Prem. Like that's just quite unlikely as a player um, that you then don't turn up, especially as a twenty-one-year-old. And he looks to have found a bit of form now and um, put that bad form behind him in the league and. Uh, Scored again a really good goal with his weak foot on the outside of the box. And um, then Garnacho pops up in the second half and gets two goals and ends up making it look like on paper 3 0 looks quite comfortable. But uh, I know that at least for United, they if you watch the game, it wasn't that comfortable for them. The first half, they were really on the back foot, back foot at times. Although West Ham didn't create that much, United were sat really deep at times. And um, I think the biggest takeaway from that game, they won 3-0, uh, but Lissandro Martinez looks like he's injured himself again. So after being out for four months and as good as he was last year, comes back and if the reports are right, he'll be out for another month or two, which could really damage their chances to... Well, I don't think they'll get Champions League football now with that. They, they had outside a chance if they finished fifth to get Champions League football again, but... I think they're now stuck in a race for Europa League football. Yeah. Um, but they are, compared to a few weeks ago, it feels they're in a better position. Yeah, that's most definitely. They're in a they're in a much stronger position now um, uh, than they were a few weeks ago. So it's a question whether they c- keep on going. As you said, it is unlikely that, uh, as it looks like, like now on the table, uh, given the position you know of uh, other teams, that they... Uh, it doesn't like they can fight for a top four, um, but I think things have been so tight. You never know. Um, yeah, I mean, you never know if Villa or Spurs fall off, and that fifth spot is a Champions League spot. Then you know there's a potential there. It's not. It's not that. It's not that far off. But just given the. And what, what do you think West Ham United? I mean, they're, they're, the they're right below United right now, only two points behind Man United. They're on 36 points in seventh place. Uh, I think Europa League football again for them would be really good, uh, where they've been sort of for the past number of years. in Europe. They've played, played three seasons in a row, in a row now in Europe. Uh, obviously, won the Conference League last season. How far they go in Europe this season will, get, will be yet to see. But... Um, yeah, I think that's sort of... They've bounced back after last season in the league, having a poor season. So they're in a healthy position, uh, West Ham. So I'm sure they'll want to 
um, get back to winning ways because I think the last four games they haven't won. In fact, the last game that they did win was against us at the Emirates. Um, so they'll want to get back to winning ways now. But they're in a healthy position given sort of the expectations that you probably have for them in the start of the season would have been finishing the top half, especially even even with the the loss of Declan Rice over the summer, they've invested really well and it's sort of whereabouts where I think they'll be if they have when it came to their mid season review, I'm sure they would have been looking at it like we're probably just about where we want to be right now, which is um uh, fighting for Europa League spots again. Shall we look then now at Spurs and Villa's uh, games? Um, have a little chat about... We'll speak about Villa first, who made a lot of ease of a win against, a 5-0 win against Sheffield, where I think they were 4-0 up in the first half an hour. Sheffield will finish bottom. Unfortunately, they're just not good enough. Uh, I said it from the start of the season they were not going to be good enough they lost too many of their key players over the summer to even give them a chance of staying up and even with um, getting back their old manager in um, they're well they're struggling to say the least and what about Villa down at bottom and Villa who after maybe a bit of a bit of a blip uh, you know, that loss against Newcastle where they lost 3-1. Um, back to winning ways for them. You know, emphatic win for them, 5-0 away from home as well. And, um, you know, I know at one point people were saying, oh, potentially Villa in the title race. I don't, I don't think that will happen. But do you think I mean, they're, they're still a very healthy position to get Champions League football. For, if they finish top four, they'll definitely get Champions League football and they could do that. Uh, they're in a race with Spurs for sort of fourth place. But if fifth place is a Champions League spot, they could be playing Champions League football next season, which for a club like Villa would be massive. Um, I don't believe they played Champions... I don't believe they played Champions League football under the new format, but they might have back in the 90s. But I could be wrong about that. But um, I know the, the fans are a bit really excited because obviously yeah, they're mean, paid. Yeah, I mean, uh, the minimum I think they'll get Europa League football, the very bare minimum, whether that's that they win the Conference League, which they look like their favourites to win, um, or they get it, or they get Europa League football through the league positions instead. But, I mean, Champions League football would be the dream for those fans, I'm sure it would be. Um, for a team that has a European Cup in their in their silverware. Um, we'll move on to the team that has just sat two points below them um, and that is Spurs who played away at Everton Everton's a tough place to go especially sort of recently they've picked up a bit decent amount of form uh, despite the 10 points deduction you know um, they're, although they're, the last five games they haven't been particularly great Everton um, they haven't actually won any games in their last five um, they'd be mid, they'd be very comfortably mid-table right now without that deduction so um Everton actually um, played pretty well, created a decent amount of chances. Spurs didn't look a bit toothless in the game, but the one thing that they've done really well this year is that even in games where they haven't been particularly great, they've still been good at scoring goals. And you maybe would have expected that to dip after Son goes to the Asia Cup because he's their one player up top that is just a brilliant finisher in front of goal. But Richarlison, who, as poor as he was last season, has really stepped up for them recently. And... Um, bagged two goals in this game against his former club and um, Spurs get a 
point away at Everton, although they'll feel frustrated at that given that they were leading up until the very last second of the game until Everton got the equaliser. But I think given the given how the game went, a draw was probably a good point, sort of all things considered, given the performance of Spurs, but I'm sure they'll feel frustrated about dropping points uh, given that they could have won if they held on they could have won the game and um, what do you think Spurs fans can expect you know for the end of this season you know for these second half now I mean I think for them it's just you know getting those players back who played in AFCON and played at um, playing the Asia Cup and um, having a strong sort of finish to the season now and getting themselves for one, definitely back into Europe and very possibly back into the Champions League, which I'm sure if you are Spurs fans at the at the beginning of the season, do you think you'll get Champions League football this year? They All of them would have said no chance. Europe, maybe, but Champions League, no. So I'm, they're all very, very happy with where they are, I'm sure. But I will say their performances at times, they've gotten a little bit lucky with their results because... Um, I mean, in, in part, it helps that they have uh, two what, well, two players that I would consider what, what what people call XG cheaters, and that essentially is that Vicario is very good at keeping goals out. So even though they face a lot of expected goals against Vicario, being a really good goalkeeper, keeps them out. Um, and Son, who is a brilliant, brilliant finisher up top, scores chances that he shouldn't really possibly. The Arab, your average player wouldn't score, but because he's Son, puts them in the back of the net. And so actually, if you look at their um, expected goals for and expected goals against, albeit I do understand that they were playing two full-backs at centre-back at one point in the season, um, but they do concede less than they should and they score more than they should. But we've seen Liverpool win the league doing that, so it can, it can happen. And whether that whether it can be sustained for the rest of the season will be will be yet to see. But uh, they're in a very healthy position, Spurs, and Champions League football for them this season would be massive um, going forward, especially with sort of all the money that brings in. Um, right. Who do you want to briefly then um, chat about? I mean, I can look at the uh, uh, we'll the look others at the rest very of the briefly um, because you know we've had. Um, Bournemouth Forest one one. Um Forest actually in need of a point there. Um so they get a point that they probably quite need. Bournemouth are a very healthy position, sort of mid table again. So I'm sure Bournemouth would have been a bit disappointed not getting the win um there, but they're currently sat on twenty seven points in twelfth place. Although they haven't they haven't won in their last four, they've only picked up two points in their last four. Uh, Bournemouth after going on a really good run in the league um, but you know I'm sure they'll take you know at the end of the day if you're Bournemouth you, you take the point and the Forest definitely need all the points they can get right now especially if they get a point deduction right now Forest well Forest will probably find themselves going down if they get that point deduction um, unless Nuno can turn things around for them because currently sat on 21 points if they get a 10 point deduction like Everton did Unless Everton also get a 10-point deduction, they could find themselves in a lot of trouble very, very quickly. Do you think the decision would be made before for the two teams before the end of the season? It's difficult to say. Right. 
I mean, if it happened, you know, the Everton deduction came in so quickly, if that happens again with these two, because it's just one single charge, which could happen quickly, they could find themselves both being deducted points. If they do, then you never know how things can go uh, down there. Um, so who else have we got left? Chris two Palace? more games that we haven't discussed, but Brighton for Crystal Palace 1. Uh, that one is a uh, what they refer to as the motorway derby because they're not actually anywhere near each other. Well, they're not particularly near each other. It's I think it's some rivalry back in the 70s or 80s and they've kept it, it sort of remained as a pretty big rivalry between them. Um, but Brighton make it very easy doing of Palace and Palace uh, struggled recently, continue to struggle and I mean... Uh, well, they protested at the Emirates a couple of weeks ago when we beat them 5-0 and their fans aren't happy. I mean, they've been in the Premier League now for, you know, what is it, 10 years now? And they've never, fin- I think they've their best finish is, I think, 10th. I mean, they've never, you know, they're having to see teams come up and, you know, I mean, they've they've seen Leicester come up, win the league and win an FA Cup. They're a bit of a outlier, Leicester. Um, but you know they're they're seeing other teams who have who have come up of maybe similar size to them. They've seen Brighton come up playing European football. They've seen obviously West Ham are a big club, but they've seen West Ham come up as well, sort of a similar time to them. And obviously West Ham have played been playing European football for a number of years now. Um, must be quite must be quite frustrating for yeah um, yeah for definitely. But I mean Burnley have been been up and down, and even Burnley f- had a season in Europa League. Wolves have had a season in Europa League. So Southampton had a number of seasons in the Europa League. So teams of similar sort of size to them, and despite how long they've been in the Premier League with all the with all the money that comes with uh, with all the revenue with all the TV revenue, they've never looked at challenging. They've never even challenged for a European spot, Palace. Do you think because um, it, it, you know the ownership is quite happy just to have a m- you know middle of the table they're not, they're team? Not taking, uh, in part, there's just no risks taken. I mean, you saw, you know, they got they sacked Vieira last season. They got Hodgson in, and you're thinking, okay, just to sort of see the season out, make sure that we confirm our Premier League Premier League status. Cool. You'd expect them to sign a new manager in the summer. They didn't do that. They gave Hodgson a new contract and they're like, and those fans are just like, the club is going nowhere. We're just stuck in mediocrity. And in this season, they're not particularly doing very well, but they very well may stay up. And what, and even if they go on an awful run till from now until the end of the season, what very well may keep them up is the fact that possibly Everton and Forest get deductions and then the two teams below them currently, Burnley and Sheffield, just won't be good enough to stay up themselves um, to get enough points. So Palace, you know, could be awful this season, but stay up based on two teams getting deductions. What about Brighton? Whereas Brighton are flying and, you know, um, still really struggle to keep clean sheets. Um uh, Brighton, despite I mean, in fact, the only clean sheets they've kept recently is a nil-nil draws, which is uh, strange for them. But after getting battered last week at Luton four-nil, they bounced back well in what is a big game for them, and they made it easy against against Palace, and they beat them four-one. So Brighton looking relatively strong again to challenge for Europe again, which is I'm sure exactly where Deserby wants them. 
um, and probably where you would, if you're a Brighton fan, hope that you would be at this point in the season, which is going for Europa League football again. I mean, I'm sure I hope some of them would be who dreamed would think maybe you never know, maybe we could challenge for Champions League football. I think that's quite unlikely, um, given the losses, obviously, of Caicedo and McAllister in the summer. So to yeah, be challenging for Europa League again is where they want to be. So, yeah. And I think, you know, reality is that they're already so about, what, 10 points uh, out of the age top four. And yeah, so, I mean, they're 11 points behind Villa, so that's very unlikely. And then even if fifth spot opens up, Spurs are currently nine points above them, so and there's any, unless they, unless they were to go on a run, there's no chance that I think they get themselves into that potential for Champions League spots. But, you know, Europa League, they're right there. Uh, on 35 points are only a point behind West Ham and they're three points behind United so right last game and um, then finally the last game of the weekend was Fulham who drew 2-2 with but away at Burnley uh, Fulham go 2-0 up in the first half yeah 2-0 in the first half I believe and um, looking like they'll probably cruise to another win but Burnley do fight back show some spirit and they're um <coughs> their new signing up top for Fana gets two goals uh, I think one of them relatively later on in the game yeah 91st minute and um, they fight back and get a point which for Burnley right now is crucial given their position in the table in 19th um, and look if that if those deductions do come to Everton Forest there's it opens up a chance for Burnley to stay up potentially so I don't think they will even if those deductions do come in, I do think that Everton will probably stay up themselves. But that's the one thing they'd be hoping for right now. But points is what they need right now. And um, uh, one point for them is, well, it's one out of 13 of their points they've won this season. So every point for them is crucial right now. Fulham, I'm sure, would have been kicking themselves having been 2-0 up. But... Again, I think Fulham find themselves in a similar situation last season where they'll finish relatively comfortable in the mid-table. Um, they're 13th currently. They they don't look like they'll be in any trouble of possibly getting relegated unless something awful were to happen. Yeah, so do you think they're just going to um, end up sort of, again, yeah, mid-table? They'll, they'll, they'll finish mid-table again, I, th- I reckon, Fulham. So, uh, yeah. Um, now, one thing before we do go... Uh, because we are going to try and do this. Actually, I know I've said this every time, but we're going to try and do this, uh, which is actually predict next game week's fi- fixtures and hopefully actually then look at them for when we record next. Um, so next weekend, the early kickoff on the Saturday is City at home to Everton. And I, I'm going to say something uh, unrealistic because I'm really hoping that... Uh, City drops points and Everton is is a good team. I can see this being a two all. I know it's unlikely. Two two. Wow. Okay. Uh, whereas I think that City will win. Although I do think that Everton will make it difficult for them, and by difficult, City will win two 0 but I don't think they'll roll past Everton. I think Everton will be strong defensively. Um, okay. Then 3pm kickoffs next weekend. The first one is 
Fulham, Fulham. at home to Bournemouth. Tell me what you think. Uh, I think Fulham is going to win. Okay. Uh, um, uh, this is going to be a 2 nil. 2 nil to Fulham. Uh, I think this is going to be a draw. I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. Relatively boring. Uh, next up, Liverpool at home to Burnley. Uh, I know that this is... You go for another upset? Uh, no, it's going to be a 3-0. 3-0 oh, okay. nil. Nil Liverpool. Uh, I will go for a 4-1 to Liverpool. Uh, oh, big clash down at the bottom. Luton at home to Sheffield. Oh, Luton is going to win. You know, they'll, they'll be all happy for what how they played last mm-hmm. time. Uh, this is going to be... a. Uh, uh, they scored eight goals in their last two games, Luton. This is going to be a 2-0 to Luton. 2-0 to Luton. Uh, I'm actually going to agree with you on that. I'm going to go 2-0 as well. Actually, no, I'm going to change my mind. 1-0. After that, Spurs at home to Brighton. Oh, that's a good game, actually. Yeah, it's a good game. But this is not going to be it's 3 easy. It's not on TV, although I think we all know what happens with 3 p.m. games. Uh, um, how we watch them. I don't know. I think Brighton has a chance. Um, I mean, they should have won their last season, Brighton, but they got robbed. Uh, and they'll remember. Um, uh, this is going to be a, a one-all. One-all. Okay. Uh Brighton don't know how to keep clean sheets. Spurs also struggle keeping clean sheets. It's going to be a high-scoring game. I'm going to go 3-2 Spurs. Uh, next up, Wolves at home to Brentford. Well, a difficult game. Um, and again, I think we're going to see, lo- gonna see yeah. a lot of goals here as well. Really? Okay. I think so, yeah. Uh, this is going to be a 2-all. 2-all, okay. Four goals. Uh, I will go for a 2-1 Brentford. Uh, no, Wolves win. Hmm. Yeah, no, 2-1 Wolves win. Uh, not actually currently predicted any away wins, to be fair. Actually, I'm going to change my mind. I think Brentford will win 2-1. Uh, Forest at home to Newcastle. Forest desperately needed points. I know, but Newcastle, I think... I will say Newcastle haven't been very good away from home this season. Uh, I can see this uh, Newcastle win 2-0. Okay, 2-0 win to Newcastle. I'm going to go for an upset here. I'm going to go for 1-0 uh, Forest on the 5.30 kickoff on the Saturday. Two games on the Sunday. First one, uh, West Ham. We have got West Ham. West Ham against Arsenal. Now, West Ham have given us problems this season. Uh, they have, and I They're think Arsenal will remember, and hopefully they learned the lesson. Um, this is going to be a 2-1 to Arsenal. Okay. I think Arsenal will go into this game with a lot of fire behind them, and I actually don't think they'll concede. I, I'll go for a 3-0 Arsenal win, which sounds very confident, but that's what I'm going for. Uh, Villa against United. This is a big game. Oh, actually. this is a big game and difficult to predict, really. Uh, yeah, Villa. I mean, last time at Old Trafford, Villa went two 0 up, and United had a miraculous comeback in the second half, and they won three two. 
Um, this time around, though, Villa at home, where they, I mean, they lost their first time in a year against Newcastle the other day, but Newcastle, uh, Villa, very good at home in the league. I know. I think uh, 2-1 to Villa. 2-1 to Villa. I'm going to go 3-1 Villa. And then on the Monday, there's an 8pm game. That's Palace at home to Chelsea. Oh, my two, God. Two teams that are struggling right now. Um, I don't know. <laughs> and one all. One all. I'm going to go for a nil-nil. <laughs> as boring as that is. Right. Um, so next time, we're going to double-check how we're done. <laughs> Yeah, unless we decide to go for two months again without recording an episode, we will actually get to this next time and I'll make sure that we actually do record an episode next week and do start doing more sort of weekly episodes. Uh, But otherwise, if you are still with us, uh, thank you for listening uh, to the return to the podcast, the return to teaching my dad football. Uh, Have you learned anything this episode? Uh, I don't know. I think I can. I kind of starting to remember a little bit more things, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like I didn't really need to explain XG as much this time to you. <laughs> so we're on the right track. Uh, thank you for watching. Goodbye. Goodbye, guys.